Is there anything to look at that's more beautiful than a garden? More beautiful than the flowers and the trees and even the grass lawn and sometimes the vegetable garden? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the garden that are not easy to see. In fact, they're invisible to us because they're in the soil, and they're part of the soil food web. And today's guest, Jeff Lowenfels, is going to tell us about all these billions of microorganisms helping our plants thrive. Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I was thrilled to be able to spend a little bit of time outdoors, because here in the Northeast last weekend, it was warm. When I say warm, I'm talking about 73, 74 degrees, perfect days in the sun to get started on what seems like an overwhelming task, getting the garden back, getting getting rid of a lot of the weeds and making the plants that I want to grow thrive. And I've always had a lot of trouble with things like weeds. And more and more I'm starting to learn that those problems may be caused by things I don't see, things that are invisible to me, things that are in the soil. Often these are microorganisms. They're animals and, and single-celled animals and fungi, things that are really important to plants and that are important for the pl- the plants that I want to grow to really grow and grow well. And when that soil is out of balance, some of the plants I don't want to grow do really well. For example, if I've got a problem with grasses in my flower beds, which I do, I mean like lawn grass and weed grasses in my flower beds, it's possible that I've got an imbalance. I may have too much bacteria and not enough fungi. And those are things that I'm going to hear about a little bit today with you uh, when we talk with... Jeff Lowenfels, and Jeff is the author of the second edition of Teeming with Microbes, and Teeming with Microbes, which is his book, uh, co-authored with Wayne Lewis, the subtitle is The Organic Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web, and Jeff explains the soil food web and what he means by that, and, and when I ask him about exactly explaining that it, there's more than a food chain going on in the soil there's there's a web there's overlapping chains of uh, symbiotic relationships between different organisms and between different organisms and the plants that we want to grow well i'm i'm going to try to change the content the temper the the characteristics of my soil by encouraging the the fungi that i want encouraging the bacteria that i may want the pro-bacteria, not the antibacteria. Well, in some cases, it might be antibiotics, too. There's all these things in the soil. And if you use petrochemicals and if you use salt-based uh, fertilizers or and herbicides and things like that, you're just killing the soil. There's not going to be anything left. But my soil is, has a problem because it's sand. It's deposited by the flooding of the river. And I've got to get those organisms going. I've got to get more life in my soil and Jeff is going to help me do that. He's going to start talking about that. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to bring it up from time to time and tell you how my progress is going with bringing life back to my soil so that my plants do a whole lot better and my weeds do a little bit worse. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, I couldn't be any better. 
Well, I'm I I don't know if this is the first time I've talked to someone in Alaska, but I think it's close to the first time. And uh, well, let's hope it's not the last. I hope not, and I certainly have have not ever been to Alaska, but it's something I'd like to do. One of my states to get. There you go. There you go. Well, we'll work on that. Well, I'm I'm very interested in teeming with microbes. The Organic Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web, which is your second edition of this wonderful book authored with Wayne Lewis. And it tries to explain, well, everything, <laughs> everything that you need to know. And I guess my first question for you is, what is the soil food web? Well, I think everybody is familiar with uh, the concept of a food chain where the little guy gets eaten by the bigger guy and the bigger guy gets eaten by an even bigger guy. Well, in the soil, there are lots and lots and lots of food chains. And chains and every now and then one of the critters on the food chain looks up and sees the chain above it and grabs something off of that chain or, or maybe something below it and grabs something off the chain below it and pretty soon all of these chains become connected into a web so that's what a soil food web is it's a bunch of food chains that have been connected uh, as you know there's a very complicated uh, ecosystem in the soil and and it's comprised of food chains well, we humans tend to think that we're at the top of the chain, but we're just we're plugged in somewhere in the middle, I guess. Somewhere in there. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we're in the middle or if we're 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 One uh, end. off the side. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but we but we certainly like to think as gardeners that we control uh, the food chain around us and or the food web around us. And in fact, in my version of life, it's the plant that's in control. And that was the astonishing thing I think that that the book pointed out that almost no one really knew, and that was that the plants feed themselves by producing exudate substances that drop out of the roots. Uh, we exudate, we have sweat. Uh, the exudates from a plant does the same thing that the exudates that we drop out. Uh, they attract uh, bacteria and fungus, and the bacteria and fungus are attracted by the plant's exudates, and they in turn, after eating the exudates, are eaten by protozoa and nematodes. And the protozoa and nematodes who are attracted to the bacteria and the fungi, who in turn are attracted by the exudates, uh, they eat the bacteria and fungi and they excrete the excess nitrogen and other nutrients that they don't need right there in the root zone in plant usable form. And the plant takes up those excreted uh, nutrients and feeds itself. And if it wants to get a different kind of food, it can change the, the mix of exudates to attract different kinds of bacteria and fungi, who in turn will attract different kinds of protozoa and nematodes. So it's a really fascinating system that literally, up until about 1989, almost no one knew. And, and I know in 1996, when I asked garden writers of America whether they had any concept of this exudation, uh, not one raised their hand mm. out of 750. So, so it's a relatively new concept of an ancient process. Well, uh, I guess the plant changes its exudate to produce or to encourage the kinds of uh, nutrients that it needs. Does it, is that sort of just a series of chemical reactions? Uh, well, it is, of course, a chemical reaction. Uh, they, they, the plant actually uses anywhere from 50 to 60% of the photosynthetic energy that it produces, not to produce that tomato or the leaves or the stems, but to produce these exudates. And they actually uh, are basically carbons, lipids, uh, vitamin D, uh, D3 is a lipid, uh, and proteins, mostly carbon, however. 
because that's what most organisms, well, that's what almost all organisms live off of, carbon. Um, and so they need the energy from that carbon. So, yeah, it is a, it is a chemical reaction. And, and uh, it's a very, very uh, important one, obviously. And, and again, the same thing happens with us. We, we produce an exudate. Our sweat actually uh, feeds a microbial community on our skin. And if those soaps that they advertised did what they were supposed to do and wiped out all of that micro- microbial activity, we'd be dead in 24 mm. hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the bad guys, the bad guys would be able to get through and you know get get, get in at us. So it's so it's a very interesting process. But in plants, uh, it feeds the plant. Now, in addition to that, uh, some of the things that are attracted, particularly a particular kind of fungi called the mycorrhizal fungi, uh, not only not only uh, are they eaten and you know consumed and then and then the excess is used to feed the plant, but mycorrhizal fungi actually form a symbiotic relationship with the plant the roots in particular, and go out and get things for the plant in return for the exudate. So they break down phosphorus, which normally gets locked up in, in the soil in a nanosecond. Uh, they go out and get copper and nitrogen. Uh, they retain water. Uh, so there's some very, very important uh, uh, fungi that are attracted by this process. And 96% of the plants on the planet Earth have this special relationship with the mycorrhizal fungi. Once again, in 1996, not one garden writer uh, out of 750 had any notion that this existed, and yet 96% of the plants have this relationship. It's amazing. Well, you're talking about all this, all these living organisms that are in the soil, and they're in the soil yeah. naturally, and plants and these animals and different organisms have lived together for millennia, well, forever. Uh, but right. then when we humans get involved and we maybe use some petrochemical or some synthetic fertilizer or herbicide, sure. we can really make a barren wasteland out of what used to be a thriving community. Well, at the very least, we reduce the numbers of these, uh, of these organisms that are down at the bottom of the soil food web. And so, uh, you know, people forget that these fertilizers are salts, for example, uh, and when a single cell uh, comes, in, comes in contact with a salt, what happens is nature wants to have an equilibrium. And so the water in the cell goes to dilute the salt, the salt goes to dilute the water in the cell, and the next thing you know, you have a dead cell. <laughs> and so th- that's the bottom of the soil food web. That's what feeds the plant, and you're killing it off. And, and if you kill that off, you have to take the place of those organisms, which is not an easy thing to do, when you consider that a teaspoon of good soil contains a trillion bacteria Incredible. and 14 feet of invisible fungal hyphae. So once you start reducing those numbers, then you have to step in and then you have to do uh, the work of those microbes, which is why I called the book Teeming with Microbes, and we spell it T-E-A-M as opposed to T-E-E-M, because what you are in fact doing is teaming up with the microbes uh, and the book explains in the beginning, uh, the first half is the science of, of all of this, and the second half is how to apply it to your yard and garden so that you can actually team up with those microbes as opposed to kill them. You know, when you read the label on these fertilizers, they say you have to apply the food, uh, you know, every two weeks or so. And the reason is, is because there's no microbes feeding the plant. You've already taken care of them. So, so you want to do less work and have more fun in the garden than you want to team with the microbes. But it doesn't. It, it's not a completely easy thing to do, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm speaking with Jeff Lowenfels, author with Wayne Lewis of Teeming with Microbes, 
The Organic Gardener's Guide to the Soil, Food, Web, and Teeming is T-E-A-M-I-N-G. There's a pun there in the title. And uh, the book is it's kind of a, something that every gardener should know something about and should have. And we'll be back in just a moment. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. I'm speaking with Jeff Lowenfels, author with Wayne Lewis of Teeming with Microbes. You're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And Teeming with Microbes, the subtitle is The Organic Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web. And Jeff, I thought one really interesting thing about in your book that I read was that once you do use synthetic fertilizers or different chemicals on your ground or on your lawn and, and you drive out all these good, beneficial organisms, the first organisms to come back are kind of the thugs. And I thought that was very interesting. Well, that's right. Yeah. 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 They're very opportunistic. Uh, now, you know, I don't want to make things, I don't want to give away the whole story because the book is so exciting that, you know, we don't want to give away the plot. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, these, the, the bad guys are opportunistic. And they're generally taken care of by the diversity of the microbes that are in the root system in the rhizosphere area. Um, and so what happens when the – and, and a lot of these organisms, for example, there are some special bacteria called the streptomycetes. Uh, st- uh, you know, they produce uh, antibiotics and uh, actinomycetes, excuse me, and, and uh, they, one of them is a strep antibiotic. And, and these antibiotics keep some of these bad guys at bay. Well, once, once they're gone – you know, once they've been killed off or, or reduced in numbers uh, by the chemicals that people use in their garden, then uh, the bad guys don't have any, any chemicals to worry about, no, no antibiotics to worry about, and they go and do their thing. I mean, it, they're very opportunistic. And so you start having problems as a result of fiddling with the soil food web in a negative way. Hmm. It, it is fascinating, and, and I guess the, my next question is, what can I do about it? You know, what well, as a gardener can I put back? How can I put stuff back? Right. Well, uh, uh, there are three or four actual ways of putting stuff back. The first is to use compost. Compost contains all of the nematodes and the protozoa, which I call the fertilizer spreaders, and all of the fertilizer bags, the bacteria and the protozoa uh, that you'd ever want to have. And so good compost uh, uh, contains all of the of the bottom elements of the soil food web that will attract the upper elements. And it's it's the very best stuff you can use. And just about a, a quarter of an inch to half an inch of compost on anything, lawns, plants, shrubs, trees, uh, you know, the life in that compost will work its way into the soil uh, in about eight months. It's, it can be as deep as 18, 18 inches. So just putting compost on the surface is a great way to go. The second thing you can do is use use mulch. Mulch, uh, different kinds of mulches uh, will provide the right kind of nitrogen for your plants. It turns out that if you, you there are two kinds of nitrogen. There's a, an ammonium nitrogen, and then there's a nitrate nitrogen. And uh, the nitrates uh, are, are what people use in a lot of the chemical fertilizers. Ammonium is like urea, uh, and 
And depending on what kind of plants you have, and the book explains how to know which is which, uh, you can feed plants the right kind of nitrogen, and you can make that right kind of nitrogen by using the right kind of mulch. Hmm. Basically, green, which contains lots of sugars, and brown, which contains lots of lots of carbons. So, uh, I mean, a, 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 excuse me, lots more carbons in a much different form. So. You can use compost. You can use the mulches, green and brown mulches. Uh, you can use compost teas, aerated compost teas. I know these are somewhat controversial uh, because uh, there tends to be a lack of scientific duplication of some of the experiments, but hundreds of thousands of people are using them around the world. Uh, and you can use mycorrhizal fungi that I spoke about before, the ones that form the relationship with the plants, in the right circumstances uh, to, to help the plants uh, get, a, get a better start and, and, and thrive. How would you acquire the mycorrhizal fungi? Well, all good nurseries now sell mycorrhizal fungi. You can buy them for lawns, trees, shrubs. Uh, and, and my advice is always that if you go into a nursery and it doesn't have the mycorrhizal fungi, you might want to think about a different nursery. Hmm. These are clearly cutting edge uh, and very, very effective, particularly when you're starting stuff indoors. Um, you know, they tend to be ubiquitous in the, in the, in the outdoors, uh, unless you've really damaged them by using too much chemical. Uh, but indoors, they, they, they don't exist. They don't exist in compost. Uh, they're not in most potting soils. And so when you start plants indoors, it's a great time to use mycorrhizal fungi. Well, I have a question about something that you may or may not be able to help me with, and and I'm going to ask you anyway, gardeners, <laughs> especially organic gardeners, always are so thrilled to see earthworms. And right. it makes me stop and think because most of the earthworms we know and look at are not indigenous. They're sure. from other countries. And there's been a lot of problems with a new Asian earthworm. Uh, you've right. probably heard about that. Can, can you, I mean, is an earthworm always a good thing? Well, it's not always a good thing. Uh, those Asian earthworms, which fishermen use and drop on the on the on the forest floors when they when they when they finish fishing, uh, actually they end up uh, uh, creating a situation where garlic mustard moves in. The interesting thing about the garlic mustard is the garlic mustard kills the mycorrhizal fungi that feed the maple trees and whatnot that make up these these forests. So it's actually killing off of the mycorrhizal fungi caused by the garlic mustard that comes in because the worms are able to clear the land by eating all this, the duff, all the leaves and stuff, too quickly. Uh, in, the right, in the right area where earthworms are, are, are terrific, uh, those particular earthworms that, come in, that are coming in from Asia, and now some of them are coming in from Canada, people are buying them, they think they're red wigglers, but they're in fact this other kind of worm, uh, are, are pretty, pretty ferocious and eat too quickly. Um, so... You know, we haven't had any problems until people started to introduce those particular worms. Uh, it's really only been the past 10 or 15 years. But we've got we to gotta keep an eye out on, on this because earthworms really do some incredible things in the yard and in the garden. And in an acre of, of soil, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of earthworms. Well, 400 years ago, were there earthworms in the soil then? No, no, there weren't, and they were brought over by, uh, you know, by the, by the uh, immigrants who came over. They were in the ballast of the ships, the Mayflower, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Appleseed spread them around, you know, with the pots, and people went out to Oregon on the Oregon Trail with pots of apples and whatnot, and they, and they spread the earthworm. We just started getting them here in Anchorage about 15, 15 or 20 years ago. Oh, incredible. I, and I get phone calls from people all the time asking what those little things, those little bumps are in the soil. 
The great thing about earthworms is they make fabulous soil structure by tunneling throughout the soil. They bring organic matter down into the soil so you don't have to till it in. And, and uh, they, what goes in the worm and what comes out of the worm are two completely different things in terms of concentration of things like nitrogen and magnesium and potash. And, you know, they, just, they just increase the amount as it goes through the worm. So that's why worm compost and vermicastings are so popular. They're very, very full of nutrients. Well, I'm I'm still disturbed by it, <laughs> just a bit. Yeah, well, again, they are. They, you know, there are lots of things that are not native here. Uh, we could say the same thing about the potato, of course. Yes, you know, of course. A lot of foods we eat, whatnot. Uh, we just have to be very, very careful. First of all, to make sure that we're we're not importing that terrible Asian worm. Mm. Uh, second of all, uh, you know, we don't take them out in the woods. Uh, generally, earthworms do not do well out in the woods. We have a different kind of worm in the woods. Uh, so, we just have to be much more careful about what we're doing. So we're unfortunately just just to make you feel better these the, the front only moves about 10 or 20 feet a year. So I don't think it's going to hit Pennsylvania right away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little I'm a tiny bit relieved, but uh yeah. I I guess my goal is to try to get my soil back. I if I can even call it soil because most sure. of what I garden in is sand that's deposited yeah. by a river. And uh, I do have earthworms. I don't have good soil, and my my goal is to to get it back. To I guess the, I could use the word inoculate to bring you're in the, some. You're the perfect, yeah, perfect person for compost and mulches. No question about that. Um, no one should ever rake a leaf off a property. Uh, you know what falls down underneath trees and shrubs and bushes. That it's supposed to stay there. That's nature's way of feeding the, the plant. Same thing with grass clippings. And so uh, you know we're gonna make we're gonna make gardening for you a lot easier. Uh, by by letting you leave a lot of the stuff that falls there. Well, you you mentioned grass clippings, and you were talking before about brown and green mulches. And one thing right. I'm also concerned about, who people for people who want to do this overnight, is if they've been using chemicals on their lawn and herbicides and everything, and they start yep. composting the lawn clippings, or you know, are, aren't they going to have yeah. those bad things in their compost? Well, they certainly are if they've just done if they've applied that stuff during the same season. I think if you wait a season or two, you can certainly use your grass clippings and whatnot. Uh, and if you make the compost properly, uh, of course, most of these things, not all, will 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 uh, be broken down. Uh, what I always advise people who are making the conversion, if you're going to be making your own compost for the first few years, you want to use it on your your uh, annuals and your shrubs, not your food crops. Uh, and you want to test it first. Uh, it's a very easy thing to do. You just take some. Uh, herb seeds. You can use cilantro, or you can use basil, uh, and just try to try to germinate some seeds in the in the compost. If it, if they germinate, chances are you, you, your compost is going to be fine for everything but vegetables. And after two or three years, you're you're in the clear, and you can you can then use your compost on everything. Well, I can see what's going to be my future. I can see it ahead. And I've been speaking with Jeff Lowenfels, author with Wayne Lewis of Teeming with Microbes, the Organic Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web, and it's the Gardener's Guide to everything that's not visible immediately, everything that's going on in your garden, that it's very important to have even more things that are invisible in the garden than are, than are things that you see every day. And thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me. My pleasure. Okay. You have a great day, Ken. Thank you. Bye. My guest was Jeff Lowenfels, who's the author of a new book, a new edition, Teeming, T-E-A-M-I-N-G, with microbes. Teeming with microbes, the organic gardener's guide to the soil food web. This book tells you all about 
what's going on in the soil, all about the important things to have in your soil and how they work and how they work with plants. And also we've learned that they're, that they're controlled to a certain extent, that they're stimulated by the plants themselves. The plants ask for what they need. And we also learn how we can give these things to the plants, bring them to the soil so that they are available for the plants. Some plants prefer soils that are dominated by fungi. Other plants prefer soils that are dominated by bacteria. Most vegetables, annuals, and grasses prefer their nitrogen in a nitrate form and do best in bacterially dominated soils. Most trees, shrubs, and perennials prefer their nitrogen in an ammonium form and do best in fungally dominated soils. Who knew? Well, now we do know, and we're going to learn how we can add compost to inoculate the beneficial microbes and life in the soils. All from Jeff Lowenfels, who is a member of the Garden Writers Hall of Fame, a garden columnist, and join me next week for another edition of Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'll be here, so join me then. Bye for now.